invite you to good morning. I invite you to, with your eyes still closed, and if you've opened them, to gently close them again. Relax your jaw. And see, be, and see before you in your mind's eye a blank screen. Just shut down the chatter. Turn off the monitor. And that is the silence. That's the beautiful silence that these angels of God's presence, these musicians just shared with us. Where we find God and where we find ourselves. When we shut down this screen, we're in the present moment awareness. We are in that position of witness to our lives rather than being consumed by our lives. This is what evolved people do frequently throughout their day. Take a moment to shut down the chatter. And so in the, the beautiful field, this pristine field of the silence, where we find God, where we find ourselves, where we find peace. I invite you to join me in a song if you know it, and if not, just allow the song to be part of that spaciousness. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room. In this very room, in this very room. And once again, dropping down into that silence, if your mind has gotten busy or distracted, see that blank screen and let these words touch you and impact you. And it is the consciousness upon the words. So on behalf of each person here, I recognize, give thanks, and acknowledge and open myself to this divine experience, this vibration of the Most High, this infinite intelligence, unconditional love, compassion. And I let that wash through me that that experience is not just something for my mind to think about, but it is a, a visceral experience of washing through and cleansing anything and everything that is in opposition to the truth of my being, our being, which is we are the individualized expression of the one. That we've come into this realm to experience darkness and light, sorrow and joy, the contrast that help us choose in each moment where we shall stand, to, to move into the spiral, that downward spiral, or to live, as we discussed last month, in the, 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 the arena and the consciousness of possibility. Could it be that these things have come into our lives to awaken us? And so I give thanks knowing that you and I have everything necessary and required, awakening within us the enlightenment that we already are. We are already enlightened. And as we express more of that, Life is transformed. 
from the inside out. So I know this day is a day of impact, of, of power and potency, of opportunity, possibility like never before. For this I give thanks. I release these words in gratitude and appreciation. In celebration and gratitude, I invite you to say with me, and so it is. In the silence there is peace. I just, I'm just going to hum little bits of songs that I know for the next 35 minutes. Now we'll do the Gilligan, Gilligan Islands theme. You know, this morning I, as I slid out of my garage into the alley, I thought, isn't it amazing when it warms up and then it melts? And I, I used to judge that harshly, but I realized that it's God's way. See, it's God's Zamboni. God puts a fresh layer of ice out there for us to navigate. I thought, isn't that interesting? That's what inspired the guys that invented hockey. So the back, and, and the water was transformed so before our very eyes, as we're talking about transformation this month. And the backpack of transformation is the first slide that I have for you today. And what it shows is it's a young lady that's getting ready to pack her backpack. She's going on a trip. So if we've, any of you have ever camped or taken a long trek or, you know, backpacked your way across, whatever, you, you pack. You pack accordingly. What am I going to need? And so there's all the items. They're all numbered. I don't know if you can make out the numbers. All the way from number one down to, it looks like, 14 there. 15. Thank you. And so... Uh, but the same idea, what does it take for us if we're going to take this spiritual journey of transformation, of possibility, of evolution? What, what are the essentials that we put into our backpacks, our awareness, the, the things that we work with? Because transformation requires, uh, it requires practices that allow us to develop the proficiencies and the, and the stamina, the spiritual stamina, to allow us to make the journey effectively. Just like an exercise program. In order to, to see shifts and changes in our physical form, it typically takes a shifting and changing of how we, what the foods we consume and the, and the way we move upon the planet. And if we, and if we drop those practices, we, our bodies seem to go back into this state of inertia. I was sharing at the first service, I'll share it here, but for about a year I was struggling with some back pain and hip issues and, and knee issues. And it took a long time for those things to kind of settle and heal and get strong. And in the last six weeks or so, I've been able to start moving again. And it's been gradual, but it took time. And what I know is if I, if I stop moving, I'll go back into some of the conditions that I was unhappy with. So part of my devotion to it is to feel an aliveness and a vitality and to be able to move upon the planet more freely in physical form. So it requires practice. And the same can be said, so how do we come home to ourselves? How do we stand in our divinity, our true identity, our essential selves? in a way that, that none of it, the winds of change that come along, the good opinions of others, and, the, and the, the ups and downs of the economy and life and all the things, how do we stand in that, in a grace and a beauty, and process it when it does come effectively, so it doesn't become our identification, but in fact becomes part of our experience where we realize, geez, I get to choose how I'm gonna, how I'm gonna hold this experience. So packing our backpack of transformation is so important. And what's inspired this conversation today is the book by Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith, 
uh, spiritual liberation. We've got a few books we're going to use over the next 90 days, and we've, we just had a few of Dr. Michael's books come in this week, but we'll make sure that those of you that would like to experience it, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, we'll, they're, they're on their way. We'd ordered quite a few, and four of them showed up, so I think they're sold out in the bookstore. But it always feels good when you can say it was a sellout, right? Even though you only had four. So transformation. What does transformation look like, and what are the paths? And here's a young man jumping from one plateau to the other. And as Michael says, so let me me set this up for you first. Once we become aware of the patterns that we have formed, we can revisit them and make new choices. That's part of the journey, is is understanding the patterns that we have fallen into or the the concretized ways of thinking and believing as as, uh, last month Benjamin Zander talked about, the the downward spiral or living in possibility. And those are so crucial and so important. Dr. Michael says, as we surrender more and more deeply to the transformative process through our spiritual practices, we realize that we cannot expect the outer conditions of our lives to change while we remain inwardly the same. So in other words, as we do the work, we, as, we, as we are transformed, the conditions in our lives will be transformed. It's obvious, right? But it's, but it's, it's worth mentioning because I think sometimes it's, it can be a bit overwhelming. So it's simple. As I continue to do things differently and move, and it's a journey. It's step by step. So we all consistently use one muscle. Any idea? Some of you probably are here for service. You don't get to shout it out. But do you know what, what muscle we use? It's repetition, and repetition, and repetition. So most of us latch onto an idea or an emotion or feeling or experience, and we repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, because that's just kind of the way. And our minds, the egoic mind, needs a place to land. Well, here it am, and and so there's all this this energy around that. But repetition, the great thing is repetition is a great tool to have. See, we've developed it. Because now what we can do is we can choose something more interesting and start to repeat that. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. So if you've got repetition and it's been a downward spiral, that's, all, that's okay. It's just a matter of inserting something new. You know, if you've been using, what is it, 86 octane and now you're going up to 91 octane. You know, it's just putting a new, it's putting a new fuel in there, something more interesting. Dr. Michael talks about involution. Involution. An involution is this prototype. So he talks about a, a, a seed for a maple tree. A seed for a maple tree, if we plant it proper, properly and we, let, and we nurture it, it will eventually grow into a maple tree. It won't be an orange tree. It won't be an apple tree. It is the involution of it is the identification and all the things it takes to be a maple tree. And then what happens is the evolution, when the seed is nurtured properly, it sprouts, and all of a sudden, before time, you have a brand new maple tree over time. And it's a great metaphor for our own spiritual awakening. All of us have within us the capacity. It's inherent in who we are. It is the truth of our being. As above, so below. This idea of oneness, that all of us have an inherent capacity, an involution of this divine expression that is unique and wonderful. Just like there's no tree that is identical. There's no one of us that is identical. And that is our involution. That is the, the, that is the true seed of who we are. And, as we, and if we nurture it properly with spiritual practice of awareness and disciplines and devotions to, to express in, um, in a more potent and beautiful way upon this planet, that is our evolution. So there's seven things that evolved people do that I think are worth mentioning. 
And I'll give you the list first and then we'll flesh each one out. So number one, evolved people give thanks for what most people ordinarily take for granted. All right, so right away they jump into gratitude. Number two, they give without agenda. Number three, they race to see who can forgive first. Number four, view life as a celebration rather than a problem to be solved. They talk to themselves, not to the world. They choose happiness over drama. And they understand the value of downtime. So those are the seven. So let's talk about the first one. Evolved people give thanks for what most people ordinarily take for granted. They give thanks for life, for the intelligence within the body temple. I mean, that's huge to give thanks to the divine intelligence that lives within us, that does know when we don't know. Because that opens up a whole pathway of conversation that is beautiful. But if we don't download and we don't stop that busyness of the mind and, and allow that spaciousness of quiet, so I love about that song. In the silence, there is peace. In the silence, it's where I find myself. It's where I find God. And so it's not doing more. It's not getting the busy mind to be even busier. It's shutting it down for a moment and creating the spaciousness of possibility. Gratitude is an expression, Dr. Michael says, of humility, a recognition that, e- that even before we ask, good has been given to us. Isn't that a lovely way? What is, what is, what is the proper way for me to move this day? What are the choices for me to make? And I know the awareness that lives within me, the divine intelligence that's guiding and directing me. And to stand in the peacefulness of that, despite what's before us. He shares in this uh, first step, Dr. Beckwith does, the story of Donna. And Donna was one of his students that was taking a class. And in the class, she shared that my kidneys have shut down or are shutting down. And I'm on the, the donor list for new kidneys. And she said, could you please all know for me that my name has moved up on the donor list? And, and uh, Dr. Michael said to her, how about if we change that a little bit? How about if we know that your, your existing kidneys are healed? And Donna kind of like, oh, you know, I mean, it's a big stretch to think it, that what the doctors, because they are minor deities, as uh, Mary Manon Morrissey would say, MDs, they're minor deities, they're doctors. I have a stepson who's a doctor, and he's a minor deity. I watch him, and he's wonderful and brilliant, and, and I adore him. But we, the point is we can give our, way, our power away to someone else. So Donna finally said, sure, fine, if you want to. So what, what Dr. Michael invited everybody in the class to do is in support of Donna's kidneys, every time you go to the bathroom and pee, you will give thanks that your kidneys work. And you will also give thanks that Donna's kidneys are functioning at 100%. So they called it the pee prayer. <laughs> and over time... Donna's kidneys came back, and the, the, the function of the kidneys was restored. Now, it took time. It took time because Donna's got to unravel whatever the, 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 the restriction within her own consciousness, obviously. I mean, there's got to be a shift within the patient. The client's got to be willing and open. And so that sometimes takes time because we live in this time-space continuum. Sometimes it doesn't take time. Sometimes it's in the twinkling of an eye, as the teacher Jesus said. But for Donna, it took a period of time. And over that period of time, her kidneys were restored to their function, to their divine harmony. Evolve people, number two, evolve people give without an agenda. That's, a, that's interesting, isn't it? Give without an agenda? And this is a process. These are all processes. But Michael says it's a process of growing out of a mindset of getting something from the world. 
to letting something from within you be freely given. I mean, that is the, the, the spirit of generosity, that something from within me wants to be given. And that is a quality, it's an energetic. When we stand in the grace and the truth of our being, then everything we do, all of our relationships are shifted and changed. But when we step up into a relationship and there's always something to get, it, 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 there's a whole different energetic to that. It's a process of growing out of the mindset of getting something from the world. Michael talks about his grandfather. He loved it when his grandmother and grandfather would come to visit because they always gave all the kids a silver dollar. And he loved that. And his grandfather said to him once, said a number of things at the introduction, you know, and you, 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 if you purchase the book, wonderful little stories in there. But Michael, he said, there are two kinds of people. There are givers and there are takers. Always rush to be on the side of the givers and the, the big man upstairs will always take care of you. And what it does is we duplicate the nature of spirit. That's why we teach a lot of the prosperity classes around here because it's one of the places where we get stuck in the lack and the not enoughness. And when we can start to bring consciousness and awareness to what those restrictions and error beliefs, we are blessed beyond measure, pressed down and overflowing. So how do I open up to that? How do I become more of a vessel where the receptivity and the, and the, and the offering become enhanced? Not just financially, but in every way. I mean, money has value because we say money has value. We give it value. So giving without an agenda. They also evolve people race to see who can, who can forgive first. Who can forgive first? Our resistance to forgiving is our attachment for being right. So why would we forgive anybody? Because somebody did something wrong. So to, to forgive them, for many people, is to say, well, what you did is okay. That's not what forgiveness is. But that's attached to the idea of being right. I'm right, you're wrong. Which is just a limitation. How do we, how do we take our lives up, elevate our lives up at 30,000 feet and see it? How do we view it from being the observer rather than being stuck in it? As Michael Singer talks about, wow, look at that. Look at that experience. What am I learning here? What is my opportunity here? Not forgiving others is an indication we cannot forgive ourselves. And, and there's no reason, you know, I love what um, Scott Peck says in the People of the Lie. He said people, and he's a therapist, world-renowned therapist. He's no longer with us. He wrote the, the, the Road Less Traveled, which was a New York Times bestseller for years and years and years. Amazing, brilliant man. But what he said was that it's the infinite's nature because all this work, the psychological work, always ends up being spiritual. All the great writers, they start out, even Carl Jung knew that. But what he said was that when we do not forgive, the nature of the infinite, we're duplicating the nature. All these practices help us duplicate the nature of the infinite. And so when we are unable to forgive, it's, it's the divine's nature to always forgive. I mean, that was Jesus' point in the prodigal son. Whenever you come home to the awareness and the recognition, we love it. Thank you so much. Didn't matter that you went on and spent all the money and your older brother was here doing all the hard work and all of that, that dynamic is, who are you to bless him coming back? He's broke and beat up and, and all this from the other brother's perspective. When the infinite always says, welcome home. You are forgiven. We are so glad you're here today. And so that's the infinite's nature. And sometimes that's hard because we feel like people should be punished. But it's the unwillingness to forgive ourselves. And it's also when we hold people in resentment, we put ourselves above this divine nature. 
I know better than the infinite, which is another form of separation. We are a teaching of oneness. We are a teaching that, of being evolved human beings. It's, and it's not perfection. It's progress. We don't have to be there in one fell swoop, but to work in that direction. And look where we're triggered. Look where we're hooked. Say, wow, this is my opportunity to unravel that and bring graciousness to it. They asked Jesus when Peter went to Jesus. He said, well, how much do I have to forgive? And Jesus said, seven times 70. If you do the math, that's 490 times. What he was impressing upon Peter was it must be a way of life. Forgiveness must be a way of life because if we're bumping into one another and rubbing shoulders, things are going to happen that are going to be very challenging to forgive. And yet to realize we are eternal. You know, this lifetime is like that in the journeys of our souls. And yet it's, you know, when we're in it, it's like, wow, look at this. Look what happened here. Oh, ooh, ah. Michael quotes Mahabharata. He says, forgiveness is holiness. By forgiveness, the universe is held together. Forgiveness is the might of the mighty. Forgiveness is the quiet of the mind. Forgiveness and and gentleness are the qualities of the self-possessed. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, look at the great spiritual teachers that have come amongst us and the gentleness that they would exhibit because they're home with themselves. They're not running around, pointing fingers and scapegoating. They stand in the middle of it, the fury of it. And they're able to stay grounded in the being, owning themselves at the, at the deepest and most beautiful level. They represent, as he says, eternal virtue. He also uses, he also uses a visualization of forgiveness. Of... Um, that, that I want to share with you. And we'll print these cards up next week for you to take home. Didn't get a chance this week. But Michael says when you have forgiveness work to do, it's a beautiful little phrase. He said, mentally broadcast the message of forgiveness to them. So silently to say, I forgive you and set you free. Your actions no longer have power over me. I acknowledge that you are doing the best that you can. And I honor you in your process of unfoldment. You are free and I am free. All is well between us. Peace is the order of the day. Now, you don't even have to share that with them, but that's something to work with every day because energetically it frees us. And he also talks about those things, people that we feel like we may have harmed. He says, I know that within you there is an energy of forgiveness that forgives me and sets me free because what we're doing in that is recognizing the divinity and the divine intelligence in the other. I know that within you there is an energy of forgiveness that forgives me and sets me free. My words and actions have no power over you. You are free and I am free. All is well between our spirits. Peace is the order of the day. It's simple but so powerful. Because in Michael, I mean, this guy's an amazing, amazing man. I spent time with him. I spoke before him in Toronto this last year at the Canadian New Thought Conference. And uh, I had, whenever I'm around him, we had him here in uh, 2009. We had Michael Beckwith come. We, we filled the Mayfield um, Auditorium over there. sold 1,100 tickets. It was exhausting. <laughs> it was exhausting. And, we, and, and to get over the goal line with my, Michael, and there were a lot of things they, they expected from us and asked us to do, but it was exactly, it stretched our community and the manpower we had to the point where it was like um, that movie um, in, a, in uh, a Bridge Too Far about World War II in the Netherlands, where the Allies went a bridge too far, they couldn't, res- that, was, we, that was our bridge too far. So as you notice, we haven't had Michael back. 
but it was great learning. And I loved spending time with him. But sometimes we have an idea and we leap and then we realize, wow, we're really taxing. But what it does is it presses us and presses us. And, and, and I brought people in that I thought could help and, and the help I got was that they would tell me who should be fired on the team. And I'm like, well, we're not firing anybody. We just gotta get this, we gotta get the puck into the net right now, folks. We're, we're committed to this. So it became about personality. So that they sit in that, that chaos of personalities. I mean, it was serious spiritual practice for me. And when it was over, it only took me about six months to get my energy back. But I realized, <laughs> but he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. And it was a great, great opportunity for us. I mean, if we don't try those things in stretch, I just saw that movie last night with Laura, that Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. If you haven't seen it, it's wonderfully done. Steven Spielberg, and it's a, I don't want to ruin it for you, but at one point, one of the, one of the people he's working with, he's a, he's a negotiator, and, and he's negotiating things that he was not asked to negotiate, which is brilliant. And someone that's very frustrated with him said, uh, said you know, you're, you're going beyond your mandate. And he said, well, if I messed it all up, I messed it all up. And I thought, oh, I love that. You know, because sometimes we stretch and sometimes we have a vision of possibility. And you know what? We mess it all up, we mess it all up. But at least we tried. At least we tried. And there's something to be said for that because that takes a lot of courage. Because sometimes you're the only one trying. But it was good learning. So... People, evolve people. The next one, experience life as a celebration rather than a problem to be solved. There's a little baby chick. So when we walk into a dark room, do we thrash about and curse and swear because it's dark? Or do we go, oh, I know where to turn the light on, and then we walk over and turn the switch on? But isn't it it's such a great example of, as Michael talks about, that when we have a problem... When we have a problem in the world and we thrash about in the problem, why don't we just bring the light of consciousness to it, the light of awareness to it, and turn the light on for ourselves? So how do we do that? We do it through spiritual practice. We do that through shutting down the busy mind, through meditation or moments of, of just allowing ourselves some quiet. That practice I shared with you earlier, I heard a, a man on the radio on the sports channel talk about it. He, it's something he uses with elite athletes. And he said he tells them throughout the day, maybe 15, 20 times a day for five or 10 seconds, let your jaw go limp, shut your eyes, and see a blank screen for 10 seconds. And it rewires us. We reboot our computers. Otherwise, it's zing, 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 story after story after story after story. It's exhausting. All those circuits running. He also uses the example with his baby chick. Baby chicks peck their way out of the, the shell when they're born. And God doesn't come down and crack it. What, what, what the infinite intelligence has done is given all of us the ability to peck our own way out of our problems into a new paradigm, into a new idea, into a new understanding. But many times we want people to save us. Oh, shave me. And we stand in victim consciousness. And then, we, and then in victim consciousness, we have to have somebody that will show up. That's that uh, Karpman syndrome, which is uh, rescuer. One is victim, one is rescuer, and I should have looked it up before. I... And persecutor, yeah. And we cycle through all of them. Here I am to save the day. I'm going to wear my Mighty Mouse outfit next week, my ears. But it's, it's enabling. So human problems are emblematic, as Michael says, of areas where we are called to grow. If we have problems, it's an area where we're called to grow. Somebody is triggering you, someone has done you wrong, what's alive in you? Because there's people all the way on the other side of the planet that don't have any of that perspective. I don't know what we're talking about. 
If Martians landed tomorrow and we shared a whole story with them, they wouldn't know what we're talking about, right? <laughs> Evolved people talk to themselves, not to the world. There's a picture up here, a cartoon of a young lady or young man, that's a young lady, I guess, saying, I can't do it, I'm not worthy, I must be perfect, I must not make a mistake, I'm not good enough, nobody loves me. Any of those resonate with anybody here? Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of talk these evolved people do. They recognize that. No, 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 no. What they do is they trust their inner guidance. And if we don't have a, a practice in our lives to slow down and listen and shut down the busy mind, the egoic, because what the ego's job is is to keep solving, finding, identifying, and solving problems. How dare you shut me down? I'm here to save you. And you just get to say to your egoic mind, not right now, we'll just be quiet for a little bit. I want to tune it into a different frequency. Hmm, I'm going to play some classical music for a little while in there. Well, we don't need classical. We need more rock and roll, heavy metal. Let's go. We got work to do. Evolved people, when they talk to themselves and not to the world, they don't look to the outside world to convince them that they're worthy of existence. We can spend a lifetime trying to convince everyone around us of our lovability, our worthiness, our talents, our skills. Developing a pattern of leaning into your inner self with confidence. So when you, when you develop this pattern and this habit of shutting it down, it's such a powerful, powerful practice of leaning in to the true nature of our being. It's a whole different language. It's a language and an experience of unconditional love. Because when you're grounded in that awareness, there's nothing to fix, there's nowhere to go. It's just life. Swami Vivekananda said this, and he was an amazing, beautiful teacher. He brought a lot of the yogic, yogi, uh, yogic traditions from the Hindu tradition to the West. He said, be not afraid of anything. You will do marvelous work. Be not afraid of anything. My teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates, used to say over and over to us when she taught, there is nothing to fear. And yet so many of us were petrified of the unknown. Be not afraid of anything. So if we can't figure it out in that busy mind, shut it off. Ground ourselves in the truth of our being. The moment you fear, you are nobody. It is fear that is the greatest cause of misery in the world. It is fear that is the cause of all of our woes, and it is fearlessness that brings heaven even in a moment. I mean, that's serious practice, but that's all that interior work. I want to live in heaven, have moments of heaven, and those moments expand and span. One of the premises of this book by Dr. Michael Beckwith is that, that those momentary uh, awarenesses that we have don't have to be momentary. They can be a way of life. That's what evolved people are about. More and more of this, this experience, Evolved people choose happiness over drama. Do you know anybody that loves drama? Hey, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a former actor. I love drama. Drama is a way of life. I highly recommend it if you want to wear yourself out. But they realize they do not have to be at the center of crisis after crisis. There's a picture, I don't know if you can make it out, but there's a, a dramatic opera of some type and the man is laid out dead. I mean, does every encounter that you have, is there a corpse involved with every one of them? Does it have to be life or death? Whether real or imagined, in order to feel alive, they pull in the drama. 
Notice when your mind starts chattering. When you start to write the, and, and when your mind starts chattering, I've been using this a lot lately. Holy cow, there's all kinds of stuff to fix. And just shut it down, shut it down. I heard this beautiful story, which ties in beautifully with the last quality this week, but Winston Churchill, this was great, it came out of our um, Living Our Life's Purpose, teaching that class for the first time. I love that material. Laura and I have been immersed in that material for years. But, it, but Winston Churchill, one of our brilliant students in there, shared this story. And he said that during the Second World War, all the bombing was going on. And Churchill said to the soldiers, when you're in the battlefield, when you're in your foxhole, when you're in your trench, when you're somewhere where you have a moment's time to catch yourself, he said, I want you to take your helmet off and put it on the ground facing up. Not, not facing down, as a, but facing so it's open. Take your spoon out of your pack and hold your spoon in your two between your thumbs here and in your index fingers. Put it on your forehead. Put your elbows on your knees as you sit and just shut it all down. Just shut it down. And he said, the reason you hold the spoon is that should you happen to fall asleep, it'll wake you up. But he said, five minutes of that, when you are being bombarded. See, and Churchill knew the overload and the stress of being in a situation that truly was life or death. And how he could support these, these, these soldiers in the field. So he didn't say, here, I want to give you a short meditation. Because then the Episcopalians in the group would say, we don't do that. We're Episcopalians. No, he knew. Just give, give them something simple. A practice that's not going to shut them down and say, I mean, we have all these beautiful, the great teachers on the planet have made these things simple. So people will use them without trying to convert. I mean, that's what I love about it is we stand for all traditions. We went down to the Edmonton Foundation this week, Laura and I and, and uh, Doug Kelly went down. Because what we want to do, part of our opportunity here is in, a, in a community this size is looking at the sustainability. I was talking to one of our members on the way out the door and he said, it's so great, I, what, I mentioned it at the first uh, session. And he said, isn't it wonderful when you go down and you see the pillars of our community? People like the Chrysalis Foundation and people like the spinal cord injuries and the mental health people there. And they're all there looking at strategies to provide the sustainability so that, that what we stand for and hold as precious has a life beyond our lives. We've never looked at it this way. This is a movement. See, my devotion is to what we teach. It, my, my devotion, I, I think we can be friends and companions and all that stuff, but not as an end unto itself. Let's just keep huddling together because we love and know we... Mm, 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 mm. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But if that's the only goal, we're here, we can do that anywhere. I can join the Rotary. I can go down to, you know, I can, I can hang out all over the place and have that experience. I think we, there's something more beautiful and wonderful about what's happening here. And it's this, this beautiful life of possibility, this opportunity for God's expression to move through us. And so at times, we, I, you leap too far with the Michael Bethwith experience. What kind of programs help expand and enhance that? We can hang out and like one another and love one another, but not as an end unto itself. There's opportunities here. And, and that's what I'm called to. And, and that's what I love. And so I'm down there with all these people, these evolved people, and I put together these programs that are just, they're life-changing. It's inspiration. They're our tribe. I'm like, wow. And I got up and they said we had to do an elevator speech. So I got up and did our elevator speech. I said we are a community that's, that supports 
inspires, equips, and empowers spiritual seekers to give birth to that which is alive within all of us. That we are teaching of oneness and we teach that through meditation, through affirmative prayer, through service, through study, through forgiveness and love. I'm just, I'm amazed at the stuff that happens around here and somebody gets their, their, their um, feelings hurt and then there's no capacity for forgiveness. Well, I, I forgive, but it's you. I'm not, and it's like, really? There's nowhere in this textbook that I've ever seen that says if someone offends you, stay angry with them. Stay revengeful, resentful. But I see it and I'm like, wow, look at that. And it's always surprising to me because I, st- I stand in the naivety of it. But that's part of leadership. It's part of leadership to stand that and realize, oh, I get it. This is part of their journey. This is part of their evolution. Just like that forgiveness person. I know you were on the right path. I know you are having the experiences you need to have for the full evolution of your soul, and I support you in that. But so I can't fix that. I can't bring awareness to that. That is the individual's uh, opportunity. Because I want to choose happiness over drama. See, we have eternity. Isn't that great news? We have eternity. My soul's eternal. Your soul's eternal. This is a blip. And why squander this opportunity to do that deep, beautiful work? Why not say, hey, I, you know what? I can stand over here in the spiral of the downward spiral of depression and victimization or I can step over here and I can stand in the, in the community of possibility and opportunity and learn the language step by step, moment by moment, heartbreak by heartbreak. David White, beautiful poet, says that if your life's journey does not involve heartbreak, you're probably not really engaged in the work. I love David White. He's a brilliant man. So, because of the ego of the self, the self-importance, we can get off the rails, and then life becomes a drama. Happiness is our true nature, and we cultivate a habit of inner happiness. It can never be hijacked by drama. And the last one, the last step, is understanding the the value of downtime. Understanding the value of downtime. There's a picture of a Meditator there in the chakras, the energy centers of the body. When they're all lined up, that's why we have the crystal bed. Crystal bed is an amazing, powerful tool. We probably don't, I probably don't talk about it enough. But we have beautiful people that have been the John of God with us. We brought it back. The story of that was just incredible. But, and it's really, you know, people come back and go, well, I not notice much. Well, you probably won't notice much. When I went to Abhijani and did it the first couple of times, I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> it made my heart race. It made my, it made my, my I had a little bit of a headache. And then I went back, because what it was doing was it was lowering my calibration, my energetic calibration. And it works for the subtle bodies. It's very powerful. Evolve people. So that, that example of the seed, understanding downtime, shutting it down, shutting it down. When we plant a seed, the seed goes under the ground. It's dark under there. It's quiet. And all of a sudden, it starts to, that involution of what it is starts to build roots, and then it starts to break the soil. They say with uh, bamboo, I think Mary Morrissey tells the story of bamboo, that you plant bamboo and it takes five years for it to break ground. You water it one year, nothing. You water it the next year, nothing. You water it, five years of watering it, and all of a sudden the first year it grows like 40 feet. Isn't that interesting? What a great example, great metaphor. What are you watering? What am I watering? Understanding the value of downtime. So evolved people, they give thanks for what most people ordinarily take granted for granted. Are you giving thanks for just this day, this opportunity? 
what's before us today, legs to move upon this planet and lungs to breathe and eyes to see and, and a capacity to choose in new ways, to realize I'm stuck in this way of being. Time for a new idea. David White, the poet, says, in order to move into the newness, you've got to stop having the conversation you're currently having right now. They give without agenda. There's a generosity of spirit. We live in an opulent universe. It is the nature of the infinite to give. To give and receive. The cycle of the seasons. Race to see who can give, forgive first. Wow, I got an opportunity here to do my forgiveness work. I remember years ago, I went to my teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates, and I told her a really juicy bit of gossip about another minister, what they'd said about her. And I thought she was gonna engage me in gossip when I said that. And she looked at me and she said, now Patrick Cameron, now I have to go do my forgiveness work. And she stopped talking to let me talk. And then I said, I don't think I'll be having a conversation like this with you ever again. And she just nodded. And then we talked about something else. But she knew. And I thought it would get her all fired up and then we'd, we'd partner in collaboration about how we could make up a story about that person that said that. She wasn't interested in that. Evolved people view life as a celebration rather than a problem to be solved. They talk to themselves, not to the world, looking for approval. They choose happiness over drama. Is this going to provide me with greater happiness and greater freedom or just create more crisis and drama in my life? And they understand the value of downtime. So I'm going to invite you to go back into the practice that we, we were working with, this daily practice. I'm going to invite you to use this this week. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you're willing. If you're not willing, keep your eyes open. Closing your eyes, letting your jaw relax. See a blank screen in your mind's eye. Just see a blank screen. Shut down the mainframe of your mind. Nothing to think right now. Just feel your breath. Notice that blank screen. You're rebooting your mind. And let me share with you a paragraph from one of the writings in Dr. Beckwith's book here at the end of this chapter. In the nowness of this moment, I take dominion over my life and align with the evolutionary impulse governing the universe. And it is from this consciousness that I claim for and about myself gratitude, simple and a humble gratitude for the countless blessings in my life, those of which I am aware and those of which I am not. The self-givingness of spirit shows up in every aspect of my life. So I am grateful for my body temple that is even now vibrating with health, vitality, and vigor. Harmonious energy flows through every organ, muscle, and fiber of my being. I give thanks for the beauty that surrounds me. To every individual in my life, I say thank you. Thank you for loving me, for sharing yourself with me, for inspiring me, and for uplifting me on days when I could not see my own inner beauty. I give thanks for all the good that flows into my life. Isn't that a beautiful thing to marinate in? That beautiful, unconditional gratitude. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever diet we decide to consume amplifies. So why not choose something that is of high quality and vibrant and alive?
So while we're in this beautiful field of possibility, I'm going to invite you to take your time as we move into our offering. As our ushers prepare to receive the offering, I want to just take a moment to create a spiritual practice for us around this. Anna's going to come up and she's going to play some music. In a moment, our ushers are going to take their time. This is not a race. We're taking our time. We're slowing it down a bit this, this day. What it is, when we slow it down, our commitment is our commitment to our community and to ourselves is a journey towards excellence. And so the reason that, that, that this generosity of spirit, this one of the qualities of an evolved person is so important because it is deep and powerful spiritual practice. How we do anything is how we do everything. And to look at your gift this day, if you're an intentional giving program, thank you so much. And if you're here for the first time, you know, just drink in what we have to offer. Don't feel any obligation to share today. There's a, we are a self-supporting community. And it's an honor to be part of this. I mean, it's remarkable. We're sort of like the bumblebee. After 30 years, we're still here. That your support allows us to do this as a career. It's not a part-time advocation. It is, not a, uh, it, is, it is a calling that we get to answer. And it's, a, and it's an honor to be part of this with you. And to think about it, and I think about it for myself, what am I giving today? And I'm so grateful for that opportunity to share it. And what do I see myself giving in a year's time? Because that, that's a, the vision of possibility of what I give in a year's time, how I can grow into that. And, and what I also know is we get an opportunity to hold the space for one another in that, to expand in the possibility of what we're giving. And, as such, and to step into that possibility. So we hold space for ourselves and one another. This place, this teaching, if it's, if it's legitimate and true, wants an opportunity for greater expression and impact. And so I just give thanks to make this space to slow it down a bit. There's been a lot of feedback. It's one of the teachings that I received over a year ago is that we should do it as, as efficiently as possible. And efficiently has turned into racing. And I want to slow it down. Is this a spiritual practice? It's not another task but it's an opportunity to do this with mindfulness. So I just give thanks this day. I bless this spaciousness of this moment. I bless the new ideas that reveal themselves and come forth as we give and share. And we give not just for our own self-interest, but to understand that we unleash something within us that is powerful and beautiful and wonderful. And that, that what I'm giving today is a fraction of what I'm instructing and collaborating in co-creation with this divine presence within me it is a fraction of what I see myself giving next year, wherever I may be. For the divine nature of the infinite is one of generosity and sharing. And in giving the fullness of ourselves, we get back tenfold or more pressed down and overflowing. So I give thanks. We bless our ushers this day for their beautiful care in receiving these gifts on behalf of our community. We bless everyone whose hands touched this gift this day. We bless all the people who have given to us not just today, but over the years, knowing that these, this offering of generosity feeds us, expands us, guides us, supports us beautifully and powerfully. So in love and gratitude and standing together in the, in the expectancy of love, possibility, and joy, I give thanks.